When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode is brought to you by Vivo Life. If you're after plant-based supplements that are also sustainable and ethical, I recommend Vivo Life. They make all of their products in their renewable energy-powered factory in Glastonbury here in the UK, and they are a certified carbon-neutral company, planting one tree for every single order they receive. Now, many health professionals on this podcast have taught me that a healthy diet is the most important thing, but sometimes the right supplements can fill in the gaps that our diets are missing. I take their vitamin D3, omega-3 and B12 daily as they keep my immune system in check and hit the key nutrients that can be hard to get when following a plant-based diet. So if you're looking for natural plant-based supplements that can help you feeling energized and healthy, then head over to vivolife.co.uk and use the discount code TALKINGTASTEBUDS to get 10% of your first purchase. Thanks very much to Vivo Life. Welcome back to Talking Taste Buds Season 6. I'm Venetia Lamana and in this series I chat to inspiring thinkers and leaders who encourage people like you and me to live a conscious and full life. Shia Bestida is an 18-year-old climate justice activist, originally from Mexico and now living in New York City, where she is a senior in high school. Shia has been a leading voice for indigenous and immigrant visibility in climate activism. She's one of the major organisers for Fridays for Future New York City. She's on the administration committee for people's climate movement and she's a member of sunrise movement and extinction rebellion shia is a member of the indigenous mexican Atomi toltec nation and she has witnessed the impacts of climate change firsthand when her hometown in mexico experienced prolonged drought followed by widespread flooding Many publications have hailed Shia as America's answer to Greta Thunberg, but if you watch or listen to any interview with her, you'll see that to compare the two diminishes their ferocity as individuals. This movement is so strong because it's made up of so many vastly different people coming together in unity to fight for the same thing. Shia is extremely eloquent and passionate, and it was such an honour to chat to her last Friday, the day before her 18th birthday. So here's our interview. Hello, welcome to Talking Taste Buds. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start as we always do. What did you have for breakfast? My breakfast bowl is actually next to me. I had cereal with uh, strawberries and raspberries and orange juice. Lovely. And where whereabouts are you? Because I know that you're based in New York, but you're not there right now, are you? Yeah, right now I'm in Massachusetts. It's about two and a half hours away from the city. Uh, staying with my uh, family friends. You grew up just outside Mexico City in Atlacamulco, and you're part of the Atomi Toltec Indigenous Group. Tell us about this place where you grew up and how your community framed your relationship with the planet. Yeah, so I grew up, I was born in the city of Toluca, which is like really near um, Mexico City. But uh, my dad is from this small community called San Pedro Tultepec, and that community that he's part of is the Ottoman indigenous community 
And then I moved to Atlacomulco when I was like three and lived there till I was like eight. My dad and my mom, she's from Chile. So my mom wasn't part of that community or Mexico. So then she moved uh, after, after they met. And what I, I, a big part of my life was growing up with this indigenous philosophy of we take care of the earth because the earth takes care of us. We thank everything. Uh, like the trees, the food, where it comes from, who made it. It's a very reciprocal relationship. It's a very conscious relationship. So that's what I've always carried with me. And what kind of food do you remember when you were growing up? Was there was was food a big feature of your life? Who was the cook cook in your family? And are there any kind of dishes that really bring you back to your childhood? Yeah, Mexican cuisine is probably my favorite after Thai food now that I know what Thai food is. Um, and my grandma always, uh, because we would go to my grandma's house every weekend and she would always make food for us like enchiladas and mole, mole verde, um, like so foods that are so rich and like whenever I smell them or anything, like it just brings me back all these memories of home, right? And it's something that you can't get at Taco Bell, unfortunately. Um, so I always look forward to visiting my grandmother. I go back from the U.S. every month, every year. Oh, lovely. I'm pleased to hear that. Um, because you moved to New York City, right, after extreme flooding hit your hometown after three years of drought. So tell us about your memories of this time. How old were you when that happened? And when it happened, did you already know that the planet was in crisis or did it kind of really hammer that home for you? I was 13. Uh, now I'm one day from 18, nearly five years ago now. And I remember because by that time I lived in the small community of my dad, 10,000 people, San Pedro de Tepec in my house. And my house was actually pretty like uphill. So we didn't get actual flooding inside of us. But the whole downtown of the town flooded completely and all the stores like were completely flooded. And my town is one that makes a lot of furniture, like that's what people do. And all the furniture was wet and it didn't work anymore, of course, and people couldn't sell it. And all the crops were completely flooded after being stressed for years of drought. So it was like a very at a moment that at the time I didn't know what it meant but always looking back even a few days later looking back it was like this shock of why is this happening and it, it wasn't just like water it was contaminated water because we have a uh, a river near there called El Rio Lerma which gets all the waste from factories that are uh, in my community and in the neighboring community so it's not only like you get water and then it goes away. It's like really contaminated water that is causes health problems for people, for animals, for crops and land. Um, and by this time, my family already knew that we were moving to New York because I feel like this is something that people always get wrong about my story. They think that I moved because of the flood and I did move the day after, but it was because my parents already had a job for one year in the city. But I did leave my community without knowing if the water had even gone away. And it was like this shock of me, like getting on an airplane, leaving my family without really knowing what happened. 
And when I got to New York City, I saw what Hurricane Sandy had done because I visited my godfather in Long Island. And it was just like, at that time, at that, like that was a point when I saw more of the global scale of it, where I saw that the climate crisis is happening everywhere. That even if I moved, it would like follow you. Um, like it's not something that you can run away from because it will always be there in different ways. It can be there in like air pollution way, wildfires, sea level rise, hurricanes. Um, and that's when I decided I needed to really do something about it. I think it's really interesting that um, people have compared the pandemic that we're in to the climate crisis um, in the sense that they're calling it, or they've mistakenly called it the great equalizer. And you're absolutely right when you say that there is no running away from the climate crisis, the same way that there's kind of no running away from the pandemic because it can affect us all. However, it affects us all very, very differently. And the sad reality is, is that indigenous people, people of color and marginalized communities are going to be the worst affected by both things. How's your relationship with your, with your community impacted how you're viewing this pandemic as well as the climate crisis the way i'm viewing the pandemic obviously people say like it's affecting us all the same way and it's not because we're seeing that workers that can work at home are in the front line and they're usually minorities if they're not doctors right so that's what we're seeing in new york city that's why queens and the bronx have the higher rate of infection right uh, and the same for the climate crisis in in the Bronx, 17% of adults have asthma, which is 10% higher than the national average. So like now that these crises are like piling up on each other for communities, indigenous communities, marginalized communities, it's something that hits really hard. When, some, when you like lose your job and then you have the climate crisis coming, uh, if it already didn't hit you, um, it's like, it's just a mix of a lot of bad things. But what I am seeing is that the coronavirus pandemic can actually teach us a lot of the skills that we need to face the climate crisis. For example, it taught us about solidarity. It taught us that me staying home is gonna help you, even if you're like across the ocean from me, because that's like how the way that infections work, like, right? So if I stay home, it's gonna help you. And it's the same thing. Uh, with the climate crisis. Individual actions can amount to systemic change um, when we do it right. It has also taught us very clearly that listening to the science is important. It's taught us what flattening the curve means, whether that means flattening the curve of infections or flattening the curve of um, fossil fuels and consumption of fossil fuels. So I think we have a lot to learn from this. And my dad has actually been calling it the time of coronavirus, like actually giving it a name of this is the time that we are going to like mature as humanity. We need to learn more and we need to have things that teach us how to learn, how to stop, how to be wiser, how to take moments like this where we're on pause to digest like what we have been doing, what's going on and what we can do better. We have to honor that it's the time of the coronavirus pandemic in order to deal with it. And we have to honor that it's the time of the climate crisis in order for this. And that's, I think that's like what we're not doing. We're not acknowledging that the climate crisis is happening. 
a lot of people say it's going to happen in 50 or 100 years, so I don't have to worry about it. Uh, so it's like one of the main things we're trying to do is get personal stories, storytelling into the messaging of the climate crisis so that it touches people's hearts more deep. So humanizing the crisis as a tool to kind of make it as real as we can for, for more and more people. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, I love what, how your dad is, how your dad's thinking about this time. And it reminds me of Angela Davis. I watched a webinar with her and Naomi Klein. I don't know if you saw it. It was on um, Rising Majority. I speak about it all the time at the moment just because it impacted me so much. And um, they talk about how they want to we should be using this time to incentivize us to create a green new deal and part of what's been so frustrating is how our governments have proved to us that they have trillions of dollars that we so desperately need for this green deal but they're they're not they're not willing to spend it they're only willing to spend it on bailing out huge companies and huge unethical companies i quite i really want to kind of get a grasp of how you feel fighting for climate and social justice in a country where you are an immigrant and you are being led by someone who is, I know you're not being led by him, I shouldn't say that, but the country is being led by someone who is, he's denied the climate crisis and he's also racist. Does that make you kind of want to fight harder? How does that impact your activism? Yeah, so um, when I moved to New York, uh, the pressure was to Obama, like none of us knew what was going to happen, of course. And I, for example, me and my relationship, my relationship with politics in the US is very hard, not hard, but weird, because I can't vote. Not now, not like when I turn 18, not afterwards, just because I'm not a citizen. And I'm so politically involved. I like studied constitutional law for two years. I know like the ups and downs of all the branches and I met seven uh, presidential candidates um, and uh, asking them questions. What are you going to do about the climate crisis? What are you going to do? And some of them call sunrise movement the sunshine movement. So you know that they're not apt to be uh, president. But all of that is even better than somebody who's rolling back regulations, somebody who's denying and putting money into the fossil fuel industry. Uh, so people are saying anything is better than Trump. But what I am really seeing is that the power, the climate uh, solution power doesn't have to come from the federal government. And it, it actually incentivized us to focus more on our local communities. 
to focus more on me in New York City, focusing on what I can handle. I can go to Albany, I can rally, I can get climate legislation passed. We got climate emergency declared in New York. We got the CLCPA passed, um, which is the biggest statewide thing in the country right now, the like, most aggressive climate legislation. We got the Dirty, dirty Buildings Bill passed. Uh, which basically tells all the big buildings in the city that amount to 80% of greenhouse gases in the city that they have to be renewable by the state, whatever. So it actually is really empowering to see that not everything has to come from the federal government, that we can mobilize our own communities, our own cities, our own states. And that's something that we're focusing on, but obviously always keeping in mind that we are going to have to fight harder when elections come. I mean, your activism spreads uh, and and stretches very very far and wide. I mean, you've been at all the rallies. You're always on the front the front of the rallies, protesting and gathering people and organizing. And it's just it's a huge part of your work. But now with the pandemic, we're no longer able to strike and to rally. So how has youth climate ac- activism adapted since the pandemic? And how are you using your voice in other ways? Uh, so yeah, I actually didn't know how much I like to march, to be in marches or organize them or, you know, actually have a megaphone and scream climate justice through it, right? It's just, even if, like, I always think it about, I think about it this way. If I saw somebody marching for plastic bags and I didn't believe in, like, we have, need to have plastic bags, I wouldn't even pay attention to them. And that's the way, like, I feel like a lot of climate deniers feel, even if there's, like, hundreds of thousands of people on the street, they're just not going to care because they don't care about the issue. But that doesn't really matter for me. Like, my goal is not to convince everybody that the climate crisis is real. My goal is to deepen the understanding of those who know it's real, but they can take more comprehensive and holistic solutions. Um, And moments like strikes are not for the other people who are climate deniers. They're for us. They're for us to feel a community. They're for us to feel empowered. They're for us to show the government that we can come together. And I think that that is like the biggest thing that I miss, the big community that you can find when you organize, when you go out in the streets. But it's the same one that, I'm, that we can find online. Now I'm meeting people because I'm organizing this global campaign called We the Planet. And instead of We the People, We the Planet. Uh, so it's like I'm meeting people from all over the world, from Singapore and from India and Costa Rica and Chile and Ireland. And we're all coming together to say, on Earth Day, you have a community. You can participate. Uh, And that's like a global thing. But in the US, we're having a three-day live stream where we're having like amazing conversations every single day. So we're learning how to switch our tactics, diversify our tactics, which I think is also necessary. Um, Because like things like this are gonna happen later. We're gonna face another crisis and we need to diversify the way in which we do things. It's really helped me get to grips with just how important online activism is. And I feel the same as you. I feel like I'm connecting with people that I wouldn't usually connect with. Like I usually I record all of my podcasts in person. So we if the pandemic wasn't happening, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. So I feel so grateful for that. But it's also made me realize just how much of a privilege it is for me to be able to go to a protest and to, you know, not have to I'm self-employed. So and I'm not a frontline worker and I'm also able-bodied. All of these 
privileges that I have, which allow me to be at a protest. So how can we ensure that all of the people who don't have those privileges are able to remain a part of the conversation because they are such a crucial part of this conversation? Yeah, so I, I've always said striking is necessary for consistency uh, so that people know that we're still here, we're still going out. But it's not, it's such a small part of what climate activism is. It's such a small part of it. Um, and whenever I speak to people, and especially youth who say, I have school, I really can't miss it. Or I, you know, I'm in a wheelchair, I can't go and go to a strike. I say, you have, whatever your passion is, you can use it for climate justice. And I'm seeing this so evidently in, in like, this type of organizing, online organizing, because there's people who can do amazing graphic design. We have a whole team that's writing an album for climate songs. Like the types of things that people are doing that are necessary for the movement, like making a website, making videos, um, like poetry, like all these like different kind of aspects that a movement needs is like, I'm seeing them so evidently right now. Because in the streets, everyone marching, you feel like everybody's the same type of activist. But in reality, everybody has so many different skills. Like this one guy, he's just like our press director. I mean, like our partnership director, like just, it's just a joking name, but like, it's because he literally reaches out to everybody and invites everybody to be part of the movement. So even like people like that we need. What's his, what's his name? His name is Aman. He's from India. Shout out to him. Um, I saw your mum talk about how she worries about you being so public with your activism um, in a documentary uh, that was made about you by Teen Vogue. Does your mum still have this worry? And how do your parents feel with you being so young, kind of at the forefront of this movement? Yeah, so my mom, like, I remember clearly the day when she came into my room and she said, you can't keep being so vocal about your climate activism because you're going to get deported. And I said, mom, calm down. Like, it doesn't matter where I am in the world, I'm going to fight for climate justice. If they don't want me in this country and a big scandal comes out of it, it's okay. Because it doesn't matter, it like really does not matter where I am in the world. This is a world crisis and I will do my best anywhere I am. And I told her to trust that things happen for a reason. And honestly, because of my activism, I've had a lot of opportunities. Um, and it's something that I'm really grateful for. For example, my college, I needed like $10,000 to pay for the rest of it for like my first year. And I got a $10,000 award because of my activism. And it's something that it would have like never happened. And I couldn't have paid for like, I would have had to work for that. But I am working on climate activism. So. Uh, it's like a full-time job so it's like I understand the risk but I also like understand the greater risk that we all face if we all don't do our best how are you balancing your time between your schoolwork because you're a senior now right so it's quite a crucial time I imagine so you're a senior at school how are you balancing your work with also your activism which like you said is a full-time job and also like being a teenager and making sure that you have fun with your friends and you also have time for yourself that's quite a lot to juggle for someone 
I mean, even actually, I was going to say for someone so young, I would find that very overwhelming to juggle and I'm 30. So how are you finding that kind of balance, I guess? I honestly don't know how I do it, but I find time to do all my homework. I find time to do all the activism I need to do and hang out with my friends. Like maybe it's because when I do homework, I do it with my friends. And at the same time, I just step out to have a call or an interview or an organizing call. So it's just like, I, I am sure to surround myself with my friends, like most of the time, uh, always being efficient at something. And like school, being in school actually helps a lot to have like a schedule that I have to wake up at 7 a.m. and go to school. Because now that I'm in quarantine, I wake up at 9 or 10 and I just lose a lot of hours. Um, but I have to, I have to like make sure that I keep a schedule and all those things. I'm interested to know if you're doing any cooking or any baking at the moment or what your kind of favorite quarantine snacks are. Oh, uh, so actually, I am not doing any baking here just because it's it's not like my house. So I don't feel like very comfortable just like going around and baking. But I love baking. I bake cupcakes and cakes. Um, and my one of my favorite snacks are probably like these like I don't know what they're called, but they're like these like sticks and they're like with chocolate and vanilla. I don't know what they're called. I like those. I like chips and I really like salads. Just like any time of the day, I'll eat like lettuce with lemon and salt. I love that. That's very, very balanced. How would you feel about a quick fire round? Yeah, okay. Okay. Quick fire with Shia. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Uh, lunch. Juices or smoothies? Uh, smoothies. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Spring or summer? Summer. Run in a forest or swim in the ocean? I'll swim in the ocean. Ability to fly or ability to be invisible? Fly. Mexico City or New York City? Mm, New York City. Play the guitar or paint a picture? Uh, play the guitar. Carrot cake or chocolate brownies? Carrot cake. Podcasts or Netflix? Netflix. TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Chocolate or nut butter? Chocolate. Talking or taste buds? Talking. That was very good. That was quick fire. What are your three kitchen essentials? These are three ingredients, not appliances, ingredients that knowing you have them in your kitchen make you feel more relaxed about life. Tortilla, cheese, and avocado. Oh, straight there. Love it. Brilliant. Penultimate question. What feeds your soul? Family. Lovely. And finally, what are your desert island dishes, starter, main, and dessert? Uh, soup, like chicken soup, main, uh, enchiladas, dessert, carrot cake. Beautiful. Shia, thank you so much for chatting to me. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. 
I really hope you enjoyed this interview. As it's Earth Week at the time that I'm recording this, I feel compelled to platform young activists like Shia. So keep your eyes peeled on my social media for more incredible people who we can learn so much from. Thanks again to Vivo Life for helping me bring this show to your ears and I will see you back here next week for a brand new episode. Take care and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.